Hello, and welcome to Barry Dunn's podcast, Healthcare Technology Insights. I'm your host, Danny Burgess, manager here at Barry Dunn, and today's podcast is focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare. I'm so excited to bring this topic to our audience, and to do so, today's program includes three very special guests, all from Barry Dunn. Dan Vogt, Principal, Brian Hadley, Manager, and Colby Murphy, Staff Consultant. They are here to bring keen insights on the popular, trendy topic of artificial intelligence in healthcare. Gentlemen, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Good to see you. Glad to be here. I'm excited to geek out on this topic. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you all here. I want to set a little bit of context for the conversation here today, and we're just going to take it wherever it goes. So Pew Research in December of 2022 conducted a uh, poll over 11,000 healthcare consumers. What a great idea. Let's hear what the consumer is thinking about potential potential technological advancements in healthcare. Um, Not a real resounding confidence response, I will say that to begin with. Fewer than half think that artificial intelligence in healthcare would improve patient outcomes. In fact, it was about 38%, 27% not sure, but 38% said, yes, we think it will be an improvement in the healthcare delivery. 60% would be uncomfortable if their provider relied on artificial intelligence. And 75% were concerned that providers will adopt artificial intelligence too quickly. That is not a resounding vote of confidence for artificial intelligence coming into the healthcare industry. And the reality is it's here today. So let's start with the patient thought and the patient experience. And I open it up to the entire panel of can artificial intelligence improve the patient experience? And if so, how? Dan, how about we start with your thoughts? Sure, Danny. Um, to simplify it, I think, yes, it can. And I think, yes, it will. But I think consumers have typically been hesitant to embrace technology in their patient experience, as far as I can remember. Right. So just to give a little of context, the patient portal was a, an initiative that was pushed heavily, including a meaningful use. And it had thresholds like greater than you know 5% adoption, right? These are very humble goals. And telehealth has been around a long time, yet usage of it really didn't crack the patient experience until the pandemic kind of forced it to really be widespread adopted because there was no other choice, right? And so I think as people, as humans, Healthcare is so based on trust, and I think some of that is the underpinnings of why people are hesitant to let technology become more involved in the patient provider or patient nurse experience. So I think that's rooted some of the the hesitancy in those stats, but I think it can absolutely, you know, improve the patient experience. I think we're going to get in today. I think things like patient access can be improved. I think things like patient cumbersomeness of paperwork and admissions process can be improved. I think care deserts and specialist gaps have opportunities. I think quicker diagnostic care, you know, identification of problems earlier, whether it's aging or chronic conditions or acute medical events. I think there's a there's a whole host of opportunity here. I think it's a matter of setting the sights on the right things with clear use cases. That's great. Brian? You know, Dan, Dan talked a little bit about the, the trust element. And I think the, the idea of, of public trust really can't be overlooked here. Um, I think that 
you know, open communication between patient and provider or healthcare organization uh, are really going to go a long way in in helping to form and, and maintain that trust. Um, and I think if if that can happen, then yes, AI will transform the patient experience and improve it. And I, the one piece I want to bounce off of what Dan said was about being very intentional about where you implement AI. Um, I think I think the nervousness um, from some from some people is, you know, you don't want to lose that human element, that human touch um, with your provider. So I think kind of the the cumbersomeness of you know paperwork, like you were mentioning, Dan. There there are some things that. AI uh, can be very helpful and uh, can make things a little more efficient on the patient's end uh, and can provide more potential, more time to actually meet with your provider and kind of have that face-to-face time. So I think being intentional around AI um, is the first step. But yeah, absolutely, I agree that I think I think it can have some very significant impacts uh, in, the, in the healthcare field. So it's great stuff. I- you know, I, I think there's a generational component to the importance of the relationship, right? The older folks, and I'm one of them, um, your trust in your medical staff uh, provider is an essential component to feeling good about healthcare that you're receiving. Um, and when the provider talks about the benefits of this type of a technology that goes a long way. Again, I think there's a, there's a generational component to this, although the younger side of the generation tends to be um, okay with embracing technology advancements. And yes, of course, you know, automate when you have the opportunity to automate. So to me, that that ground is there for healthcare to really embrace the technology in a great many venues. Um, having been in healthcare for such a long time in my career, efficiencies are out there to be gained, right? And and AI has the opportunity to truly automate some of those more mundane tasks. Dan, you mentioned the cumberness uh, for the for the patient. We've all been there, right? How many times have we had to fill out the exact same form uh, or what feels like the exact same form, even if it was just a month you know, later from, from an original invitation. So I, I think the opportunity there is there. The ground is there. Building that trust is an important piece. And you know, getting buy-in from from the medical staff provider community is going to be an important first step. Dan? Danny, you said something about generational. And I think there's definitely some merit to that. I, I think I've looked at some AARP data, believe it or not, on technology adoption in kind of residents of senior living communities, retirement communities, nursing homes. And there's definitely kind of like a, almost like a bimodal distribution of sort of, you know, non-technology centric residents and then the incoming residents being very technology centric right they don't want the paper they want the ease of use and i think that can parallel a little bit to healthcare more broadly as well you know i think if trust can be established and personal connection is not entirely lost i think convenience access and simplicity will trump right like i use my portal all day long because i would rather send a message to my provider when it's convenient to me and get an answer when it's convenient to him, then wait on the line, right? And I think AI can just take that whole thought process and go a whole nother level in terms of what access and convenience 
we can offer to family, to patients and loved ones. So. That's great. Thank you. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about a risk as, as we think part of the adoption here has to be that trust building mechanism here and patient confidentiality, data privacy. It, it's real, right? It's a big deal. How many breaches do we hear reported um, in the healthcare industry and other industries as a whole for sure. But our healthcare data is very important to us and ensuring patient confidentiality and data privacy when using artificial intelligence, I think is one of those I'm not sure what this means. I'm not sure where this information goes. How do we protect it? And and what are some approaches that folks may be already thinking about and need to be thinking about in terms of artificial intelligence and protection for, for the patients? We'd like to take a first shot. Well, one thing that I think about here is I think about the tools that patients have access to, just your everyday person has access to. And I'm thinking about, um, as a patient, you know, I, I visit the doctor, I'm talking to them that we, you know, we're going over some numbers. Um, and some of that stuff might, might, might just go over my head. I, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm kind of nodding. I'm smiling. Yeah. 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 And then I go home and I'm like, what were they talking about? And I start going to these tools and I start plugging in some of my information. You know, I got some, I got some lab results. And, uh, you know, kind of just start plugging in all of my results in, into these open, these open tools and kind of trying to get some insights on, you know, what are some actionable next steps? What are some things that are personalized to me? And, and that's great. It's great to have that. But the risk is now you're plugging your personal health information, um, into a tool that that's being trained and it's learning, um, so, so that, that's the immediate thing that pops up to me is there needs to be some level of education, um, and just awareness and maybe potentially training as well, um, to patients to, and kind of just caution them with, you know, if you do have questions on, on this, you know, make sure you, make sure you ask wh whether we're in person or not, but also using the patient portal, if you do have questions on things you know, feel free to reach out to your provider. So I think the education, the training, the awareness piece um, on the tools that are out there and just making sure that you're not plugging in any of that personal information. Um, I think that that's going to be an important piece uh, when we, when we look forward um, in healthcare. I think that's very insightful Colby. And with the worldwide attention for artificial intelligence in general and its evolution um, there's there's lots of opportunity right out there right now. It doesn't take much for beyond an email and a password to get established in a very common artificial intelligence platform that's readily available to everybody on the planet with internet access and the danger potentially of submitting information that is of a personal nature into that environment. Um, mm -hmm. Training and awareness uh, of that risk, I think, is an, is an important piece to the equation moving forward. Brian? Yeah, thanks, Danny. And and Colby, I think all of your all of your points are are valid. You know, you you're you're speaking kind of of a patient exploring their own use of AI, but there's going to be healthcare organizations that are using your data 
in uh, an artificial intelligence context as well. So there needs to be a conversation there with patients. Um, uh, You know, it's it's an ethical dimension to it and a a regulatory dimension. You know, uh, patients need to be informed about how their data is used and stored. You know, so whether it's the HIPAA in the U.S. or GDPR, um, you know, there needs to be a conversation with the patient. Yes, we have collected your data and are using it to train our AI models. Um, So there's there will be training for patients in that context as well. Um, Certainly, you know, it's it's another tool in use in healthcare. So, uh, you know, the the HIPAA and GDPR regulations, you know, will will still be in effect. So, y- you will need to healthcare organizations rather will will need to treat it like other technology that that is in place right now, um, and and protect the data that goes into it as such. So, one of the things I'm thinking about, Brian and. Danny and Colby is on this topic around like data privacy and confidentiality, right? This is our sacred information, right? This is, we were talking about trust earlier, right? You, you lose my patient data, particularly if it's something highly confidential and it gets exposed publicly, that's going to erode trust pretty quickly. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is urgency, right? In cybersecurity world, urgency is a bad thing. Right. You know, that's often how you get a phishing attempt to work is you you plan urgency. I'm going to talk about a different kind of urgency, which is the hype cycle right now. There is so much hype around AI right now that I think every vendor there is is rushing at the market to stay competitive or appear to stay competitive. Right. And I think because of that, we're going to get all sorts of incarnations of AI tools being applied onto technology and hopefully it's done well but urgency is the risk there to me around confidentiality and data privacy did we overlook a step did we miss a step did we leave a vulnerability did we understand what and where this data was actually going was it going to a contained trusted source that we have control over is it going to an open source that we don't know exactly what's happening on but i think urgency in the vendor marketplace to stay competitive with the hype cycle I think is a risk to patient confidentiality right now. And it's just something to pay attention to. Not all vendors are going to do a good job with it. Which, which point to the import, sorry, Danny, I, I just think Dan's point is important. And, you know, that, that kind of points to the, uh, you know, the importance of vetting your vendors, whether it's somebody you're already in, in contract with, who's, who's, you know, putting out a new tool or a new third party solution. Um, you know, vendor assessments and, and, you know, understanding contractual obligations, clearly defined terms of where the data is and is going and how it's being protected is going to be critical as, as all of these tools feel like maybe some of them are rushing to market. Um, so pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was just going to follow up to, to Dan's point. Let, let's think about a smaller healthcare system for a minute. And if you don't have a person or a team that's thinking about that, but here comes your ER vendor, right? And they're coming and they're saying, we have this and it's now embedded in your EHR. What are what are some practical things that a small health system should be thinking about and starting to plan for to try to get ahead of this? 
I'll I'll lead off here, Danny, if that's cool, and then we can kind of bounce around a little bit. I think the HR vendors are charging at this period, right? I was at a conference not long ago, and the vendor was demonstrating where they're heading with a, a digital assistant for the provider and the patient to the point of, you know, touchless documentation for the physician, voice controlled with AI infused tools, along with an ambient listening solution in the room to kind of scribe the note and compose it in a structured note, mm-hmm. you know, all firing off orders and everything else. Right. So, so it's just a tangible example that the EHR vendors are rushing at this. And if you're a smaller health system, whether you're a hospital or health system or a senior living community or anything, you may not have someone thinking about AI every day, right? And suddenly this feature is going to come in a release. And it may not come with a price out of the gate because I think data is often the value, not the subscription fee. It may come with it, but it may not. It may be sort of check out this new feature. And so I think if you're a smaller house that isn't dedicating time to this, I would be thinking about upcoming releases. I would think about whether you can opt out of turning the, the tool on right away. I would be asking questions like Brian suggested, what are the contractual terms that go into this? Does this impact any of our existing contract terms around uh, data security, privacy, and breach? Um, I would think about opt out if you turn it on and you want to get out. Is there an exit? turn off path. I mean, I'd be thinking a lot about sort of do you have the ability to control a little bit the pace of adoption yourself, um, particularly if you have hosted or subscription-based EHR solutions, cloud-based solutions where where the updates just sort of come. Um, because I think new features may come to your door faster than we realize because of the hype cycle. And so what options do you have to manage that yourself would be where I'd start. That's great. Colby O'Brien, anything? Any thoughts? My only thought would be, um, I think having those conversations sooner than later, um, I think would benefit you, benefit you the most. I'm just thinking about, um, yes, with new updates, new releases, uh, a lot of great new features can come with that. And I'm sure, um, there are lots of different benefits that could be handled from that. But I think, being able to kind of control how much change, how ready you are for that change. I don't think everyone's going to be able to absorb the change the same. Um, So I think having those conversations early just around uh, what updates are expected to come, um, how how you can manage those, what communications are going to look like, um, and just being able to to really just be open and transparent with your vendors around those features, um, I think I think it's going to be key, especially for those smaller uh, smaller providers. I think that's also, great. I, I also wonder if there's a component of starting to plan communications, right? Dan, you mentioned the hype cycle. It's there. It's here. It's everywhere, right? So consumers are hearing about it to various levels, right? Uh, And have an understanding at various levels of what's out there. So I do think the smaller health system should be proactively thinking about what is our communication strategy out to our patient population, right? Um, Even if we're doing absolutely nothing related to artificial intelligence, which 
The reality is there's probably some aspect of AI that's already embedded somewhere within within a health system, right? And may not be outwardly acknowledged yet. But I think communications to the patients is going to be an important aspect of this too. And I, to kind of bounce off of that, um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm taking notes or if I have to finish up notes uh, after a visit um, with a patient and I learn that uh, there's a feature that we opted out of that could be automating that for me, um, that might create a negative tension. Um, so again, being open, transparent, communicating early and expressing, expressing the why um, of why uh, decisions are being made. Um, I think it's going to be a good idea just because, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone who's going to be hearing about this stuff. So you got to communicate early. I think there's another piece that underpins sort of the trust theme we seem to have going here when it comes to sort of the EHR or other technology vendors bring it to your doorstep. And we talk a lot about the, where's the data going into, but I think we haven't talked enough about where's the data coming from. Right. And is it, is your EHR vendor, whoever is bringing it to your doorstep, hooking it into a trusted source? Is it reputable research data? You know, where is it deriving any information it's queuing up for you? So like, is it just going out to, to open AI and chat GPT and we're not quite sure what it, what it, what it's queuing up? Or is it going to something like up to date or some of the evidence-based medical reference databases that are already embedded in EHR as in, if you're saying what's the correct dosage of this medication for a pediatric patient age this weight that and with these comorbidities is it actually queuing up an order set that is evidence-based or is it chat gpt guessing and predicting at it right like that's a pretty fundamental question and i think that's a pretty fundamental question for not your does your patients but your 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 providers you know that's where provider skepticism I think it's going to be rooted in most is how is it deriving the answer or the support it is providing me? And is it hooking into trusted, reputable, evidence-based databases? Yeah, I think it's a great point and a great question to ask. And it it, it leads me to a, another question that we've been thinking about, which is how do you vet this, right? H how do you validate the artificial intelligence tools before they're put into use because if there's mistrust with the medical staff community of the tool what kind of communication do you think they're going to be giving to their patients right and and then no form of uh, overarching communications is going to um, really have a bigger impact than when that provider is talking to that patient directly and if that and in that conversation, there's concern about the tools that are in use. That's a real problem. So any thoughts about the vetting process around artificial intelligence before these tools come to fruition? I mean, they're, they're, they're just tool new tools that have been introduced in, into healthcare, right? So they should really be going through the same types of testing that other healthcare tools have gone through. So, you know, to Dan's point about the the validity of the data, you know, is it is it something like preclinical testing where, you know, the the algorithms that the AI is is trained on are are tested to, you know, make sure that there's no bias and, you know, the the data is accurate and reliable. Um, you know, the, things like regulatory approval will it will it will the fda require you know the data and analysis 
um, of of the tool to demonstrate that it is actually safe? Is is that something that we should expect? You know, opening the the FDA regulatory box a little bit there, Brian is a good one. It's a little bit speculation, right? But there's been this yeah. tension. Yeah. There's an tension for a long time around whether EHRs should be regulated by the FDA like medical devices are, right? And I think the EHR industry has fought that pretty vigorously, right? Um, and most software contracts sort of say this is not substitute for medical decision making um, by the provider, yada, yada, yada. We're nothing more than a software system, right? Every software contract I've ever seen from every EHR vendor. But the more we embed these things in, the more it becomes much more sophisticated in the clinical decision support it's providing, it begs the question. And I think none of us today are going to have the answer on what the FDA will or will not do and how this will go. But the regulatory oversight is a legitimate question to be watching and wondering and paying attention to. Um, because, yeah, it, is it reliable? How do you test it? You know? If you're an actual health system testing and forget the regulatory arm, forget the industry, forget the vendor, I go back to your fundamental question uh, or fun fundamental thought, Brian, of treat it like any other technology, right? I would I would integrate test script and unit test script the heck out of it, right? You know, if you, if you got your med staff together and said, this is the capabilities it has, let's say it's, you know, order set automation or it's structured note templates or it's you know, best practice things. You could probably design a whole scripting session of, you know, pediatric patient, this situation. Here's what we expect it to do. Here's how I would document as a provider, independent technology based on my education, experience, and credentials. This is the outcome I would expect and then use it with the artificial intelligence tools and see if you get to the same result or better, right? Um, and is there anything confusing in the results that begs the question, how did it derive that answer? answer and until you have confidence in it with those testing passes you know i wouldn't quite be ready to turn it on that's my initial thought it's a big heady question though of how do we test these things well we need we need sort of a feedback loop right where healthcare providers can perform assessments and continuously monitor and and understand what what the tools are, are doing and if if they are performing the way that they should I can't help but wonder, um, we know in healthcare studies are continuous, right? We are continuously gaining data with every delivery mechanism that healthcare has today. Data is being captured, data is being reported, and at some point data is being analyzed, aggregated, and looked at over time. And we have changed treatments because of information and lookbacks over time. And now you're talking about artificial intelligence looking at that data, understanding or at least analyzing that data at an incredibly fast pace and having potentially access to more data readily available in that analysis to make those decisions. But we're hearing repeatedly from software vendors, EHRs in particular, 
this is a tool, but not to take the place of the decision maker, right? Which is the medical care provider. And where is that balance? It, that is a fascinating conversation of informing versus deciding. And I'm curious where that goes, because what we haven't talked about yet, we've talked about vetting and what have you, but legal ramifications for this once this starts, right? I mean, that's that's a long conversation and we can tap into it a little bit, but you you do start to wonder where where is the ownership of responsibility when it comes to that perspective? So fascinating. Right. Colby? I have, I have two thoughts there. So ultimately, AI, it's just like any other technology. We're trying to use it to make better decisions. We're trying to use it to drive operations. We're trying to use it to, to reach organizational goals. And in order to do that effectively, you know, AI is really good at, you know, taking a lot of data and finding patterns, you know, creating some key takeaways, some themes of that data. But it really comes back to, is the data that that tool analyzing, is that good data? You know, is, is that the data that we actually want the tool? Is that the data that we need to actually make effective decisions? Um, so, so there's that piece. Um, and th there was a second piece and it's blanking me. So I'll, I'll throw it to you guys, but if it comes back to me, I'll, I'll jump back in. Sounds good. L let me shift for a second while I think about that, Colby. Um, Artificial intelligence in general has the ability to automate some tasks that are not necessarily directly related to providing care, but it's an ancillary task. It's a tangential task. It's something that just simply needs to be done. Um, and that causes inefficiency in the system from a medical staff perspective. They would, they would prefer to focus on the patient almost exclusively, if at all possible. And that causes provider shortages and we have that is is there an opportunity and if so where might some of those be for artificial intelligence to start to assist in the efficiency gains so that we can get more out, out of our medical staff and perhaps address some of the underserved right me, me, the mental health population behavioral health populations um, i think we know nationally it's an underserved population. So does artificial intelligence ha have that opportunity and where might some of those opportunities be to expand resources where we have a shortage? Certainly I think there is that opportunity, Danny. And I think teeing this up is a, is a good one. Um, there are care deserts cropping up all over the place, right? Whether it's, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, mental health services, whether it's uh, obstetrics deserts, whether it's specialist care, you know, whether it's a whole host of things, there are just access and you know access problems, provider shortages, and frankly, provider burnout. Right, and I, I personally think one of the best ways we could approach this for buy-in from the provider community, from buy-in from the patient community, is to focus more on the inefficient tasks as our first foray. In order to provide more access to the patient provider interaction by pulling those inefficiencies out of that experience, if that makes sense. 
that's just my take on it. Yeah, I can think of an example at Hims from a few years ago. It's a little bit dated at this point, but um, IBM, I believe, was doing a lot of AI research in oncology, and they were speaking there. I believe it was IBM. And they're talking about how inefficient it is for an oncologist to gather all the medical data they need before the appointment. And I think the example is something like they spend 20 minutes gathering data, reviewing it to interact with the patient for sort of a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And AI could gather it all up, queue it all up, in two minutes so basically the provider was gaining something like 18 minutes of access time that could spend talking to the patient connecting deeper doing all the things you want your provider to do right and so at an aggregate level if we can do more of that if we can automate some of those tasks thoughtfully intentionally trustfully um i think it can start to turn the needle on some of these access shortages it also may be things like a rural community that doesn't have a specialist but could have a primary care connect with a specialist remotely through telehealth along with some ai tools like there's a lot of automation in radiology as an example in imaging with um with ai and that might detect some things earlier in your rural community with oversight from afar from a specialist and ai tool between to look at let's say uh image scans over time you know those are some of the things where i see opportunity i think we're just trying to figure out the use cases right now that's great great insight thank you dan um we've talked about communications out to the patients Uh, if we establish or if the industry establishes trust in the product, a healthcare system has thoroughly vetted a product uh, and it's it's tried and tested and approved and validated, verified, and we're ready to go, those conversations provider to patient occur, right? And I'm making an assumption here and kind of setting the context for this question. And that is that the providers are now on board. Okay, medical staff says, yes, this is a tool I've tested, vetted, validated. It works well. It helps me deliver care. Uh, my patients are expecting better outcomes. So what does that provider then do that next step of communication to start to bridge the gap? Because the Pew Research suggests the healthcare consumer is not yet ready and is not yet embracing that technology. What might be a strategy or two for that provider to start that conversation with their patient? I'll lead us off here, Danny and Colby's pondering, and we'll give Brian a minute. Um, I find just showing and involving the patient directly, time and time again, is a good technology approach, regardless of the technology, right? So when EHRs first came out and computers were first in rooms a lot more frequently, there was a problem with the provider, the screen, and the patient and the patient worrying what are they typing behind that screen and we got into sort of the triangle concept of the provider the computer and the screen so the the patient could see what was going on and we got into things like open notes to make the notes available on the portal to say what did the the provider documents and i can think about my own pcp who did a cardiovascular risk score for me in my annual physical and pull up the chart and plugged in the data and showed me the chart and show me the potential statistical outcomes of my life, right? And so I feel like trust is built by showing, not telling. And so I think if we are getting providers on board to use AI more readily, 
because they trust it. I would involve the patient and just show them like, here's how I can make your life better. Let's look at your diagnosis scores and let's plug in this AI tool to see what this tells us. Or let's look at, as we get better at precision medicine and genomic prescribing and figuring out the right med at the right dose for the right person, the right composition, showing the patient why and how, right? So I just think make it, make them part of it, not just tell them about it, I think is going to be the game changer. I think that's incredibly valuable insight, Dan. And and if I marry that with the previous conversation you just had about saving an oncologist 18 minutes and some of that data gathering, and a few of those 18 minutes are spent with the patient and the provider and showing and explaining this tool and what it's doing and how it's beneficial to that patient, I think goes as far as any mechanism and any lever that we could pull on there. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Uh, let's shift to risk for a minute, and in particular for the patient. So lots of tools that are out there, readily available, open source, et cetera. We've talked about that already. So what are the risks with patients plugging PHI into an artificial intelligence tool? What should we be aware of before we start down that path? First thing I would mention is what happens with that data once you put it into the tool. Um, do we know? In, in some cases, is there a way to, as a patient, is there a way to, if you are going to plug information in, is there a way to opt out where your data is not saved? It's not being stored anywhere. But on the flip side, where, where a lot of risk lies is, is that tool actually storing that data and then training, learning off that data? That, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. I think Colby... Um, you know, chat GPT, for example, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, patients are going to throw lab results in there. It, like you said, there is a way in, in chat GPT to say, please do not train on any of my prompts, right? Don't, don't use any of the data that I put in here to train your models. Um, so for open source or open source tools, that, that may be an option. Um, but, you know, there, there are things you can do if you still want to use these tools as a patient. There are things you can do to, you know, de-identify your data um, ahead of time so that, you know, it, you, you don't need to worry about the data being, uh, you know, connected back to you in, at, at some point. So how might patients start using commercial AI tools then? What, what would be a low-risk first-step endeavor into artificial intelligence? Has anybody done anything yet on this panel? I have not any yet, which is surprising because I like to try things. Um, you know, they, they this was a concept for a while before AI of the patient Googling their diagnosis, you know, diagnosis by Google. And they, they show up in their doctor's office with like their sheets of what they have, right? And it may not be completely right. It may not be right at all. It might be spot on. Right. And it's taken the provider community, I think, a while to embrace that. For a while, I think that was kind of eroding some of the dynamic between patient and provider, but I think it's definitely become much more common and accepted and part of the conversation. You know, I think you could do the same thing, but on a different level with Chat GPT or some of the other tools, if you sort of plugged in all your symptoms, I'm guessing you're going to get some sort of inference on what you might have. And I think we're back into the same land of 
is that right? Is that not remotely right? Is that spot on? Right. And it kind of comes down to how did it derive that answer, which is part of the big unknown right now that we're having debates on. But I could easily see that happening, you know, um, and then even going a step further and saying, based on this, compose a message to my provider and then copy and pasting that into my provider portal, my patient portal to send a message to my provider. So you basically have self-diagnosed and sent instructions to your provider via the portal. Like I could see that happening right now. I don't know what happens next. I don't know how the provider will take that and what the response would look like, but it's, it's a fascinating journey that I could easily see happening because the public awareness now of AI, I think is that's the inflection point. Much of the technology, technology has innovation, but the public awareness has just sort of shifted dramatically. So I, I think diagnosis by chat GPT is probably the next wave coming to the office visits uh, uh, routinely. And I want to build off that. So I'm thinking about, you know, schedule, you know, you're scheduling a uh, appointment with your provider and, you know, you know how things go. Sometimes it can take a few months before you get in there um, and maybe plugging in some of your symptoms or what you're going to be going into the appointment about, uh, you know, why are you, why are you scheduling that appointment? Plugging that information into that tool three months before, before you go there and kind of figuring out what can I do in the interim and then, you know, to provide a baseline going into that conversation. So for an example is for me, uh, if I want to schedule a dermatology appointment and, you know, I, I haven't been in years, I'm not using any type of medication. I don't have any prescriptions. Uh, don't really have a routine at the moment. And it's going to take me five months before I can get in to see the dermatologist and I know when I go see the dermatologist, the outcome of that meeting is probably going to be, okay, we're just going to put you on a very basic routine. I'll see you in a few more months. Um, what can I do? So going to that tool, knowing that, what can I do now? And kind of putting that routine together, putting together a plan now. Um, so then when I do go see the dermatologist in four or five months, I can say, hey, these are the things I've done um, beforehand. Um, I've, I've been more uh reactive in that way uh, or proactive i should say um to kind of help w where there is that kind of a time where you're not talking back and forth um, with your provider using that as a tool to kind of give you some next steps i think that's a great example colby and uh, you know the, the, the opportunity is going to be there so and folks will take advantage of it whether it's self-diagnosis or pre-planning in terms of this is how much information i know even utilizing the portal as dan mentioned to potentially get some of that information to your provider ahead of time all real potentials for ai without absorbing all of the potential risk that's out there and my last question to the full panel is around risk and that is uh, the dependency is there a risk of dependency on artificial intelligence technologies in healthcare I think, Danny, I think we, th this is one of the, the pieces of the conversation for AI as a whole, but specifically in healthcare around a, a, an over-reliance on AI in clinical decision-making. So yes, we know that these tools can and will be incredibly useful, um, but they're is research already that suggests that these tools should complement and not replace healthcare providers, right? So 
you know, there, I think there's a genuine worry that the skills, again, in for humans as a whole, but specifically within the healthcare context, that skills could, um, you know, atrophy if if we lean too much on these uh, automated technology systems. So that you know, that's certainly one of the risks. Um, and the other one that that came to mind is, you know, it's it's uh, another technology system. And guess what? Technology fails sometimes. So if we become too dependent on AI for, you know, the really essential healthcare functions, it's, it's, you know, it's just an, another service that is at risk of interruption um, and, and could have real world consequences for, for patient care. You know, the over-reliance on the technology is the risk I could see most. And healthcare is built on a lot of processes and systems that need to work all together to work safely. And human error, let's be honest, human error is a major problem in that, right? Um, so technology has the opportunity to reduce the human error, which is the upside. The downside is over-reliance on the technology and too much trust in it is the downside, right? That's where that risk to, to actual human loss or things. I look at medication errors and I'll, I'll plant a seed for someone who wants to go and read a little bit. There's an interesting book called The Digital Doctor. I think it was Robert Walker. I think I'm saying his name right. Came out around 2015 and it talked about kind of the, the evolution of uh, medicine in the computer age and goes all the way back to like automating radiology away from, you know, reading radiology. Um, but there's a middle section where it talks about a pediatric medication error in a large academic medical center using a predominant EHR vendor with a robotic pharmacy fulfilling orders. So they had all the technology that you possibly could pack into a health system to prevent error. And they gave a pediatric patient something like a, a 20X dose of a medication uh, compared to what they should have gotten. And thankfully it, it turned out fine, but it was a chain of events that happened that got there, right? It was the EHR having a dose dosing piece. It was the provider not catching the units of measure were wrong. It was the order going in off hours to a robotic pharmacy that filled it because it went on an order to fill it. It went to the floor where they do experimental medicine and experimental treatment where sometimes the, the, the medications are unusual. It went to an experienced nurse who may have questioned that, but because of an experimental unit, they didn't think it was anything different. And it ended up with the patient getting way too much medication right? That's without AI. That's with a lot of robotics and technological innovation and humans. But you layer in now things we don't fully understand as well because of the complexity and the multiple variables. I just think that's that over-reliance, over-trust is the thing we need to be paying attention to. And it's a great read. It's a little bit dry, but it's a great read to kind of think about the journey we've been on, where we are today in this sort of hype cycle, and where we may be going next. Thank you so much. First of all, big shout out to our panel today for joining us and sharing the thought-provoking insights with our audience. It was an absolute pleasure. Now we end every guest segment with this question. And today, Colby, it's your turn to answer. You have unimaginable amounts of money to spend on healthcare technology and no regulations to adhere to. What is your top priority and why? I think my top priority in this space, assuming I have unlimited everything and you know no worries about regulatory, 
uh, would be focused on preventative health care. Um, I'm, I'm really attached to the idea of, you know, helping people thrive, helping people be them best, best selves. Um, and I'm thinking about, uh, you know, like things like wearable devices, doing a lot of research and how can we make those better? Um, how can we gamify, um, you know, things like fitness and nutrition, especially more for, um, you know, younger people, children, how can we, how can we get this in front of them early, uh, and put it in a way where, you know, they really love it and they're really attached to it. Um, and they see the benefits in it. So I think I, I'd be really focused on, uh, preventative healthcare, any type of tools, especially tools that, uh, us, us, the patients can use things like, uh, wearable devices. How can we make it easy? How can we make it accessible? How can we make it equitable? How can we make it affordable? Um, making sure that we're all on the same playing field. That's probably what I would focus on. Well, I think I truly appreciate that answer. Thank you so much, Colby. And thanks to Dan. Thanks to Brian as well for joining us today. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Our next show will be coming soon, and we hope you will tune in. I'm Danny Burgess, and you've been listening to Barry Dunn's Healthcare Technology Insights. Thank you for listening. Be well and stay insightful.